This is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I'm your host, Davey Crockett. Thanks. Thanks for coming. This is episode 93. As of last year, I am now the director of the American Ultra Running Hall of Fame, and I'm pleased to announce that trail running legend Eric Clifton has been inducted into the Hall of Fame as its 19th member. In this episode, with Eric's help, I will tell the story of his impressive running career. Make sure you visit the Hall of Fame at ultrarunninghistory.com hof. That's ultrarunninghistory.com hof. Will do. Let's get right to the story. You can be a hero, you can get the gold. Breaking all the records they thought never could be broke. Sitting in a Hall of Fame. Eric Clifton, originally from North Carolina, now of California, was the fastest and most dominating 100-mile trail runner during the 1990s as trail ultras became popular in America. His go-for-broke race strategy was legendary. He demonstrated to the rapidly expanding sport that amazing speed on trails could be achieved. During his entire career, he has achieved more than 60 ultra wins, including 17 of his more than 30 100-mile finishes. During the 1990s, Clifton had the most overall 100-mile trail wins in the world. He was very fast and would win by wide margins on hilly trail courses, sometimes by hours. He set more than 20 course records, still holding some of them after three decades. Eric Clifton was born in 1958 in New Mexico. He started distance running as a senior in high school where he ran the two-miler. After finishing his first race, he swore to himself that he would never run that hard and that fast for the rest of his life. A friend suggested that he go out for cross-country. Clifton said, Running cross-country? That sounds like me. I want to do that. So I asked him, I says, well, so how many miles a day do you guys run? And he goes, oh, about 10 miles a day. And I was like, okay, I'm out. <laughs> Little did Clifton know that he would average running 10 miles a day for much of his future running career. In 1977, he started his true running career. As a college freshman, he read an article in a school newspaper about a professor who would be running in the Boston Marathon. I read this article and I was amazed. Wait a minute, people run and there are races? There are competitive events for people who aren't in school doing track or cross country? It just, it blew my mind. Within a week, he entered his first race, a seven miler. He had a blast and was hooked on running after that. Running at Boston became his primary goal. At the time, the qualifying standard for him was 2 hours 50 minutes. He ran his first marathon in 3 hours 38 minutes. As he kept trying, his times went up instead of down. It took him 3 years before his times dramatically improved. I finally had a race where I didn't die. I ran strongly the whole way, and I did a 239. And everybody was like, 
whoa, what'd you do? And I says, well, it's what I didn't do. I didn't die. <laughs> In 1980, Clifton saw the Iron Man on television in its third year and knew that event was for him. During the 80s, Clifton shifted away from running marathons, turned to triathlons, and excelled. He ran his first Iron Man in 1981, only in its fourth year. In 1982, Clifton ran in his first Ultra, a 50-mile road race in Wilmington, North Carolina. Don Acock, one of Clifton's training partners, had subscribed to Ultra Running Magazine. And so he told me, hey, there's this 50 miler in Wilmington. Let's go do that. And I kind of thought he was a little nuts, but I thought, you know, I was doing Ironmans and stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm game. But Clifton first wanted to try running 50 miles in training to convince himself that he could do it. They picked a 50 mile bike course and attempted to run it using stores as aid stations. Acock dropped out after 42 miles, but Clifton continued. At the 50-mile mark was his wife at the time, Shelby Hayden Clifton, and his mother. When I ran around the turn and I saw them like 200 yards away, and I knew I was going to finish a 50-miler, I got so emotional. I was all weepy, you know, like you see on some of these races. It was a really impactful moment for me. When he later did the race, it was an awful experience. It was held during a tropical storm and very cold. He injured his knee and it took him months to heal. He had no desire to run any more ultras because that one hurt so much. Clifton eventually became burned out on triathlons because there was so much cheating going on. He turned back to running and discovered that there was a 50-mile trail race in the Blue Ridge Mountains in Virginia called Mountain Masochist. Clifton had very limited experience on trails, but did some training and fell in love with the experience. On race day, there were 79 starters. A tropical storm had moved through the area the night before, and it was raining at the start. I'm standing there at the start line, and there's all the legends of back then. And these guys were just standing there, and I'm just a kid, 28 years old. I didn't know what I was doing, but I'd already done 150, so I was kind of confident I could do okay. We started off, I was a bundle of energy, and right about this time, I'm running low 33s for 10K, and they start off at this sedate pace. I was like, wow, they know what they're doing because there were past winners in here, so let me just hold back. He continued on with the front runners for several miles when they came to a hill. And then I hear somebody says, okay, this one's a walker. I literally stopped and looked back, and everybody is starting to walk up this hill. And I was like, no, <laughs> I'm done with this. I don't care what happens. So I took off. He needed to stop for a long bathroom break, and he watched runner after runner going by while he was doing his business. When he tried to catch up, his legs were dead, and others passed him. At mile 34 in the cold rain, he was ready to drop out. His crew gave him a soft drink, and soon his energy kicked in, and he blasted along and finished strong in sixth place in 8.22. I was astounded. I couldn't believe it. I was hooked on trail ultras after that. Clifton would place second the next year and would win in 1990, setting the course record. Clifton, like most serious trail ultra runners, next set his sights to run Western States 100 in 1987. At mile 62, he experienced his first 100-mile nausea spell and thought he was seriously sick with a bug. 
Not knowing that this was common during a very long race, he pulled out. Looking back, he said, It's funny, I've been at other races now and I think, oh man, that was nothing. I could have pushed through that if I'd have just known, but I thought I was dying. Learning from his rookie mistakes, Clifton next tried Angeles Crest 100, but again, after reaching about mile 75, he dropped out because the climbs ahead intimidated him. He then DNF'd a third 100-miler, but did not give up trying. Despite being intimidated by steep mountains and without a 100-mile finish yet, in 1988, Clifton went to run the Barkley Marathons in his backyard in the south. This difficult race, or journey, was the brainchild of Gary Cantrell and Carl Henn in 1986. Clifton went for its third year when it was billed as being a 55 to 60 miler with 27,000 feet climbing and a 36-hour cutoff. In his letter to the entrance, Cantrell wrote, There is no way you'll be finishing the race. Clifton already knew what a character Cantrell was. He met him for the first time in 1980 at Grandfather Mountain Marathon in North Carolina. Clifton and his wife Shelby had finished the race and were standing while runners entered the track for a finishing lap. And we see this blonde-haired guy come jogging up, and he stops right at the entrance to the track, and he reaches in. He's got like a pocket or something. He pulls out a pack of cigarettes, and he takes a cigarette, and he sticks it in his mouth, and he's got a lighter, but he doesn't use it. And he stands there, and we're like, aren't you going to finish? Yeah, I'm waiting for a woman to come in. In those early days, women running marathons were still a rare sight, and he knew the next woman finisher would get huge cheers as she ran around the track. So this girl comes running up, and so he tucks in right behind her, and he takes a cigarette, and he lights it, and he starts smoking his cigarette, and he's running behind the woman, and 20,000 people started cheering, for, and he's smoking a cigarette, waving. <laughs> but he does stay behind her, even though he you know, would have finished well ahead of her. And so he says, it's just a great way to get accolades. <laughs> At the 1988 Barkley, Clifton flew around the first loop, finishing first in a speedy 550. During the second loop, he made a critical error, missing a short section going up to the top of Frozen Head again. Clifton finished the loop in second place, but decided to quit. In 1990, Clifton returned to Barkley. It had been extended to five loops. Clifton, David Horton, and David Drache finished loop three together in 26 hours, 22 minutes. Clifton was the first ever to start loop four, but wisely returned after 100 meters. Horton was just waiting for his chance. With only seconds remaining to leave on loop four, he went out and traveled 150 meters to claim the record for the longest Barkley up to that time. When we were doing it in the first few years, the trails, they not only weren't marked, they weren't there. We were bushwhacking, going by, kind of goshing by gas and finding the books and stuff. So when I went back in the early 2000s, it's like, this is a trail. This is like a highway. It's like, I can't believe this. You're not going to get lost on this. <laughs> so it was so funny. In the early days, you could look off to your right and you'd see someone 100 yards going down the mountain that way. You look off to your left and you'd see someone 100 yards going down that way. <laughs> it was wild. In 1989, Clifton went to run the inaugural running of the Vermont 100 
a hilly, mostly dirt road course with more than 14,000 feet of climbing. All the hundreds I've been doing, I've been sort of listening to people, you know, and they're like, pace yourself. You got to wear a hat. It's so funny how many rules there seemed like there were for how to run a hundred. Vermont, I just said, you know what? I'm going to drop out of this race anyway. Let me just have some fun. I'm just going to run like I want to run for a change and see what happens. It was reported. Some traditionalists in the crowd called for Clifton's removal from the race for showing up at the start wearing a pair of outrageous tights, the right leg consisting of horizontal yellow and black stripes and the left leg violet polka dots on a shocking pink background. When the start gun was fired, Clifton took off with 114 starters and began to have a great time in the lead. He kept pushing hard, always running, and just kept waiting to, quote, die, but he didn't. He soon went off course because some kids had took markings down at a critical junction. And I'm running and I'm going for it. <laughs> I get to a major intersection in this tiny little Vermont town and there's nothing. I actually went into the post office and I said, uh, do you know if this is part of the race course? And they're like, what race? So I went back out and I thought, well, you know, go back to where the last place I saw a marker. So I turn around and I start running back. And as I was coming back, race director, Laura Perry, comes driving up in a truck. Some kids took the marker down. You were supposed to go left across the road. And I was like, oh, well, oh, great. For some reason, it was weird. I didn't care. I was having such a good time. I was so relaxed. He had run six bonus miles because of that blender and had lost his lead. He caught up with Lion Caldwell and asked him who was ahead, thinking he had lost about 20 places. Caldwell replied, Well, there's two. There's one guy right in front of us, and then there's this other guy, and he was just gone. And I started laughing. I was like, I didn't think that was me. <laughs> and so, well, let me see if I can catch the other guy. So I left him, and I took off, and it took me about four miles, and I caught the other guy. And I was pouring it on, and, and sure enough, I was back in the lead. This is great, and I mean, I was pumped. He went on to win, finishing in the daylight in 15 hours, 48 minutes. His first 100-mile finish had been a win, even with seven bonus miles along the way. In the coming years, he would continue to run well at Vermont 100, winning for four straight years, improving his course record, which he held for six years. He still holds the fourth fastest time ever at Vermont, with 14 hours, 25 minutes. Clifton learned a lot from his first 100-mile finish. It truly got him hooked on running 100-milers. I didn't realize you could feel great running 100 miles. And so I kept every race I did after that. I'd try to recapture that. Winning wasn't enough for Clifton. He went after setting course records. When he went to a race, he looked at the course record and decided that that would be the slowest time that he would run. In 1992, he won four trail 100-milers during that calendar year, something no one had ever accomplished before. It took 14 years before anyone exceeded that milestone when far more 100-milers were available to run. Not only did Clifton win in 1992, he came away holding the course records for all four 100-mile courses, Old Dominion, Vermont, Superior Trail, and Arkansas Traveler. 
Those feats earned him the honor to be named the 1992 Ultra Runner of the Year by Ultra Running Magazine. Here's a couple highlights of those races. The 1992 Superior Trail 100 was one of the best races of Clifton's amazing career. He considered it a true trail race, mostly on narrow single track, with occasional rocky, rooty, and marshy sections. You know, at the time, I had been experimenting with high mileage. So the month of August, I was running about 120 miles a week. And so I was tired when I just started the race. But I was at the point where I was so fit that it didn't really matter. I just kept cranking. And in retrospect, I couldn't believe the time that I did. During the race, he only stopped to walk for a few short sections. He finished in 17 hours, 21 minutes, and still holds that course record after nearly 30 years, more than one and a half hours faster than the next time. At 1992 Arkansas Traveler 100, Clifton used hard determination to succeed there. He had quit this race the year before at mile 80 due to fatigue, but this year, for the first 41 miles, he went all out. I was flying. It was like I was dancing on everything. The trails, the rocks, the roads. I was just blitzing. And I felt so great. Mile 42, I started getting nauseous. And I mean really nauseous. Ten times what it was at Western when I dropped out. He continued on for five miles, hoping it would go away. But it did not. He wanted to drop out, but he had made a commitment to himself a few months earlier that he would never again drop out of a race while leading it. He slowed down and hoped that someone would eventually pass him, but no one did. At mile 85, he was angry that no one had caught up, that he had suffered for 43 miles. His attitude changed, and he hammered it to the finish for a course record of 16 hours, 30 minutes, and a win by more than an hour. In 1990, Clifton went to run America's oldest ultramarathon, the JFK 50 in Maryland for the first time. The course runs on the Appalachian Trail and the CNO towpath. He went there hoping to win and finished well in third place in six hours, 19 minutes, only three minutes behind the winner. The next year he did win with 6.06. 1994 was Clifton's historic year at JFK 50. He came to the race in very good shape, having run high mileage that year. The night before the race, Clifton and several others lodged together and read a Washington Post article previewing the race. The long article was mostly about Carl Anderson, coming from California, who the reporter called out as being the favorite. He gave past winners, Clifton, Horton, and Chris Gibson, only a small honorable mention. Anderson was indeed an elite ultra runner, and at the time was married to Ann Trayson. He and Clifton had dueled for many miles at the 1993 Vermont 100, with Anderson winning in 14 hours 46 minutes after Clifton dropped out, breaking Clifton's streak of four wins there. On race morning for the JFK 50, the starters gathered, including many of the greatest American ultra runners of the era. Clifton was still stewing over the article. Race morning, I'm like, you know what, Carl may win but let's see what he's got. <laughs> and so when the gun went off, I went through the two mile point <laughs> in about, I think it was 1018. It was reported. If anyone was going to beat Clifton this day, they would have to do it by coming from behind, way behind. 
He came off the AT, mile 15.7, in 1 hour 52 minutes faster than anyone had run it, with a 10-minute lead over Anderson. Doubters were heard to say, This guy is going to die a big death on the canal. Clifton continued to run hard on the CNO canal. Normally, I slack off on the CNO because I'm not a flat runner, and it's flat for a marathon. And usually I can do okay through about 10 miles of that, and then I just it starts getting tedious, and I just kind of start phoning it in. But this year, I was like, no, he's back there, he's back there. And so I just kept pushing and pushing. He completed the marathon section on the canal in an amazing 2 hours 52 minutes, but so did Anderson. Clifton held him off to win by 10 minutes, smashing the course record with a time of 5 hours 46 minutes. It was one of those special races that just couldn't believe. Mike Spindler, the former course record holder and the JFK race director, wrote that year, Inarguably one of the greatest ultramarathon performances in U.S. history, Eric Clifton crushed a field of 478 starters in a sterling course record. Clifton went on to finish JFK 50 21 times with a total of four wins. His course record stood for 17 years. Throughout his life, Clifton has struggled with mild depression. One of the reasons I run, period, is because I find it is one of my most effective therapies for depression. But back in my day, we didn't talk about it, or it wasn't common knowledge. At 1992 JFK 50, Clifton had a big lead at mile 28, but dropped out because of a serious depression spell. It was a surprise to everyone, even to the eventual winner, Chris Gibson. Looking back, Clifton credited running for saving his life. He had a best friend in high school who grimly said it would be a race between them to see who would take their own lives first. Sadly, his friend did take his life in 1988 at the age of 29. I definitely give running credit because it staves off much of the darkness. I still get depressed, but it's tolerable. Clifton continued to win at multiple ultra distances during the mid-90s, but he was starting to be challenged by younger elite trail runners that came into the sport gunning for him. At the 1996 Rocky Raccoon 100, both Clifton, age 37, and Ben Heehan, age 26, came to break the course record and pushed each other on the root-infested trails. Eric Clifton led the rest of the field into the woods, as is his custom, and then ran away from the field for the rest of the race. In the end, they both broke the record, but Clifton came out on top smashing it with his career-best 100-miler time of 13 hours, 16 minutes, more than an hour ahead of the much younger Heehan. At the time, it was the fastest trail 100 time ever. Clifton always set his goals high for races. Once you accept that something's possible, then you start working for that, and that makes it probable. you got to think it before you can do it. I think that's one of the things that actually led to my success. During the 1990s, Western States 100 was the most well-known 100-miler in the sport. Through all its years, since its inaugural year, there had never been an overall winner outside of California. Other 100-mile races of the time had diverse winners outside of their home states. 
But for some reason, California had a stranglehold on its championship. One thing was very clear back then: the course was not well marked for those unfamiliar with it, and thus locals had home cooking advantages. Getting off course was always a struggle. Clifton set a goal to be the first one outside of California to win the famed race. He tried and several times led the coveted race in the later stages, but could not hold on. He had moved to Maryland in 1996 and started training with Mike Morton and Courtney Campbell, who were young, talented, and very fast ultra runners. Together, they went to Western States that year to try to break the California streak. Upon arriving, they were surprised to learn that they, East Coast runners, were being singled out as the favorites that year. During the 1996 race, at about mile 53, Clifton was running in fifth, with Morton and Campbell ahead of him. Both Morton and Campbell missed a key turn because the single marking there was practically hidden. About a dozen others, not intimately familiar with the course, also went off track there. Martin was really fired up about the problem, but got back into the race, but later dropped. A Californian again took the win. Clifton, Campbell, Acock finished together well back in 22 hours 57 minutes. The race that year was a big disappointment, but a very determined Mike Morton finally broke the 20-year California streak by winning Western States the following year in course record time. Clifton started Western States 10 times, but could never pull together that ideal race and finished only twice. Clifton was well known for going out fast in races, but also has been criticized for his large number of DNFs, a total of 80 lifetime DNFs in his 304 ultra starts and about half of his 100 mile starts. He had his own style of aggressive racing. But doing it his own way, that successfully racked up his numerous wins. Clifton explained his aggressive racing strategy. Any time I tried to run conservatively, pace myself or whatever, they always were awful races. You know, I get to 50 miles and I'm wiped out. And so the way I looked at it is, if I'm going to get tired at 50 to 70 anyway, I might as well at least run the way I want to run for you know as long as I can, and then see what happens. Yeah, sure. You can save it for the end, but you don't know if it's going to be there. Like I said, a lot of times I have a slow period in the later stages, but I'm able to pick it up toward the end. If I can have a good start and a good finish, I don't care about the middle. <laughs> if I have to pay a price for the fast start in the middle, you know, it takes me a while to recoup. That's okay. I don't mind. When asked what was the cause of his high number of DNFs, he said, "If you're running on a knife edge." Sometimes you just go a little too far over. When I fall apart, I mean, I fall apart. Complete and total exhaustion. The thing is, is I just never know. I never knew if I was going to finish because if you run on that knife edge, if you just tilt over just a little bit too much, it's a steep slope down. Sometimes I could make it, and sometimes I couldn't. It didn't change the fact that you know I tried. What was important to me was the feeling I get when I'm running well. I never had a peak performance with a jog. It's when I'm pushing myself that I have a peak performance. So why should I take the chance, be conservative, and pace myself to get to a finish line if I was striving for a peak performance? That's not how I get there. For me, it's like once I knew I could do a hundred, 
it wasn't so much the challenge of getting to the finish line. I wanted to get to the finish line as well as I could. While Clifton is known mostly for his exploits on trails, he also competed in many road ultras and won there. He was especially elite on the hilly road courses. He won Gary Cantrell's difficult hilly strolling Jim 40 twice in 1992 and 1993, and won the prestigious Edmund Fitzgerald 100K in Minnesota in 1999 and 2000. After two failed attempts running the blazing hot Badwater Ultra Marathon across Death Valley, he won the 1999 race and was featured in the movie Running on the Sun, the Badwater 135. Done my homework in every respect that I can think of. This year I've trained for the heat, I'm heat trained, and I've trained for the road, so I'm road trained, but uh, I'm just waiting to find out what the third thing is that I haven't prepared for that can sneak up on me, and hopefully... Hopefully there's nothing, so in which case I can just kind of cruise it right through, so we'll see. I've just got one strategy, that's to go as hard as I can for as long as I can. And miss the cars. He won in 27 hours, 49 minutes. God, it's Friday. Into his 50s, the wins continued for Clifton. He had a streak of 19 years winning at least one ultra each year. As he slowed down and could not compete at the level he did for many years, instead of leaving the sport like so many elite ultra runners have, he made a mental shift. I've actually been trying to discover the joy of just being out there even though I'm running 20 freaking minutes a mile instead of seven or eight. Well, you know what? It's nice. I'm seeing stuff. I'm out here overcoming the elements. I've shifted more into a finish mentality. In recent years, he has finished nearly all of the ultras that he has started. With an ultra running career spanning nearly 40 years, in 2021, at the age of 63, Clifton was still running and racing at an elite level for his age group. He is a streak runner and never misses a day running at least one mile to continue to help combat depression. As of 2021, Clifton has run about 141,000 lifetime miles, finished 224 ultras, 99 marathons, and 88 triathlons or duathlons. Clifton's aggressive style was patterned after by many of the next generation of elite trail ultra runners. Kevin Setnis wrote, Clifton has established many course records on trails that seem unimaginable to most of us. He did not set those records by holding back, but by being aggressive and attacking the course. Surely there were times when he would crash and burn from such tactics, but seemingly just as often, he would end up winning by a wide margin in course record time. Hal Coroner added, Growing up, I was a great admirer of ultra-legend Eric Clifton. He held virtually every 100-mile record for years and was a guy who didn't believe in walking or hiking during a race. Congratulations to Eric Clifton for his induction into the American Ultra Running Hall of Fame.
With that, this is Davy Crockett, and this is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I hope you run fast and far, enjoy life, get outdoors, and most of all, stay safe and don't take unnecessary chances. Mm-hmm.